0: You know, it was my trust in in the knowledge that these people that I have already mentioned provided with me. It was their knowledge that set the foundation for my planning, which gave my clients the peace of mind that they were able to experience in March. You know, and I'm definitely grateful for that. This is the Retire Happy
1: Podcast with John Amarino, teaching you each episode about holistic retirement plans. It's time for another edition of the Retire Happy Podcast with San Diego's premier holistic retirement advisor, John Amarino, fiduciary financial advisor at Securus Financial, serving you in San Diego and beyond. I'm Walter Storholt. We're glad you're with us today for a great conversation on tap. We're going to have some fun today getting to know John a little bit more throughout the program. I've just got kind of a good smattering of questions for him. We're going to look at some things happening in the news. We've got a mailbag question Lots of good stuff to get to on today's show, John. I'm pumped up and excited. I hope you are as well.
0: I am too. I am too. I'm, uh, you know, it's it's back. Got Walter as my co-host again. We we obviously mixed it up the last episode with with Dan in, and I, I had a blast doing that. But uh, yeah, I got to just take a nap yeah, while you guys
1: chatted. It, you made life easy on me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's if I can make your life easy, Walter. That's. That's worth waking up for in the morning.
1: I'm just messing. Uh, actually, Dan was really interesting to uh, to listen to. He's just got a great voice, obviously. I mean, everybody loves the British accent, right? Uh, listening to it. And, right. Um, and, and also, he was very engaging and I think made the topic of estate and some elder care talk that more much more interesting, right? Like, we, we found a way to spice up a little bit yeah. the talk about that kind of stuff with his accents. But no, seriously, there was some good information in that episode. Some of it, by the time this episode's getting released you know, you guys talked about some stuff that was very timely. So I do encourage people, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back one and listen to it um, and do it now because some of the elements and the items that you guys discussed did have a little bit of a time crunch on them. So definitely go check it yeah. out. It was a good interview. Well, uh, lots of things to talk about on the show today, John. So let's turn the page there. Uh, just to get us started this week, I've got kind of an off-the-wall question for you. Um, you know, I've been interested in kind of watching lots of different um uh, different, you know, n- elements of news coverage and things like that lately and just following people's prognostications of, you know, what the, the markets are going to look like and the financial world is going to look like. And there's all sorts of, you know, celebrity financial folks out there. You know, the Susie Ormans, the Dave Ramseys, the, the Mad Money guy, Jim Cramer. Uh, you can probably just continue to count a whole bunch of the very, like, you know, present and uh, visible people in the financial space. I'm curious, are there any of those folks that you enjoy following or keeping an eye on, and have you ever picked up any good advice from someone in that arena?
0: You know, Walter, to be honest, I don't follow any of the celebrity financial minds. I admit, I, I read Jim Cramer's book before I was a financial advisor, and I've had people that I've talked to who have done, uh, you know, Dave Ramsey program, um, who are, or have listened to Suzy Orman, and... You know those three people, and, and not to pick on them. There, there's plenty of celebrity people out there, but they're celebrities. They're not true objective financial advisors. And I'm not saying they're not knowledgeable in the or the arena. They obviously all have background in it, um, and they've given some good, simple advice. Uh, you know, I, I know they're they're all into well, as Ormon and Ramsey into the budgeting and, and savings, but they've also all given some bad advice. So, some Real bad stock picks. Um, and they've also, you know, kind of in a general sense bashed some financial vehicles that they essentially had to come around um, years later on. And, and you know, the, the fact of the matter is, I'm not singling anyone out there, but, you know, any celebrity out there, but they're celebrities and they're entertainment. And the biggest problem I have with celebrity, celebrity planners in general and even more so the media, because you know how much I love the media, is they are getting their paychecks from a media mogul. And they are being told, whether they like it or not, to shape a narrative that that mogul wants. And you know, this goes not only for the people we mentioned, but for Fox Business or CNBC, all the mainstream media. They're not advising people on a day-to-day basis. They're getting their checks from those companies. So you know, I think it'd be a little bit naive to say those companies are saying, hey, you're going to say this or you're going to recommend this to your audience. So I don't tell people not to expand their thinking and to not watch these shows. But if you are watching them, take their information with a grain of salt. And really, that goes, you know, Walter, that goes for anyone, including myself. You know, when you hear something on a podcast or one of my videos or, or if I'm teaching at a workshop it's generalized information. And, you know, Dan and I talked about this in our episode is no one size fits all, right? This is very customized detail planning. My clients, not one of my clients are alike. I am not the same as my sisters or my dad or, or my mom. So even within same households, you're going to have different goals, values, approaches, and and needs. So it's general information. If something pops up and it spikes your interest that they said, right, reach out to your advisor, reach out to me, or, you know, as many people do, submit a question on a show note and and really see if that's going to be appropriate to your individual situation.
1: That's the key advice, as always. You've got to put it into the proper context through the proper filters. Always makes sense to do that. Now, John, uh, so maybe, maybe celebrities isn't where you direct your attention to or pick up very many helpful hints or anything like that, but I know you're a pretty avid reader. So what about uh, financial books? Is there a best financial book that you've ever read that has helped shape some of your financial views?
0: Yeah. you know, My favorite financial book was, was probably the Retirement Savings Tax Time Bomb by uh, the renowned CPA Ed Slott, and I'm a big Ed Slott fan, um, have been for, you know, my whole holistic planning career. Um, I've attended several of his advanced IRA planning conferences. He's got a great PBS special, and I've read his books. As a matter of fact, uh, I believe in, you know, inadvertent plug, but I actually think his new retirement savings tax time bomb book's coming out in, in a couple months. Um, and I just really like his approach because he's talking about taxation of retirement accounts. Um, and that really led me as a younger advisor to understand that there's a lot more to the retirement planning game than just investments. And I know this is going to come as a shock, Walter, but taxes are going to be one, if not the largest expense in retirement. And, you know, tax laws may be changing and they may not be changing in our favor. So I, I love uh, you know, Ed Slott's book because it's really coming from, from an objective view of a CPA. You know, I've read a, a ton of books that talk about different financial vehicles or, or investment strategies or whatnot, but I, love, I like this because it, it's really coming from that one holistic angle of tax planning. Yeah, you know, on on another book, I'd probably say that that I like that probably more people would get satisfaction out of than than Ed Slots, which it's a long book. It was I think Ed Slots' book was three hundred pages, and, and he's entertaining, you know, especially for for a financial advisor. But I think a more of a crowd favorite or people who have probably read this book was actually The Big Short. You know, talking about the the financial crisis uh, back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and as obviously, have you have you read the book or seen the movie? Definitely, have well,
1: seen the movie multiple times. I don't know why, but it has such great um, you know rewatch value.
0: Right, and you know, I really liked the book, and it's actually a series of books, you know, by Michael Lewis, who, who has also written some other great books, about, by the way. Yeah, Moneyball, and and he really he's he's. He, uh I think it's Liars Poker. Um, He's really talked a lot about Wall Street, and you know something that I got out, and and maybe you could agree or or disagree with me, but you really learned about the greed, corruption, and and straight out arrogance of Wall Street. And you know a a great example of that in the book and and also in the movie was you know Lehman Brothers' demise. You know Lehman Brothers was a huge huge firm. And then overnight, they're gone. Um, you know, and, and Bear Stearns, and you can't forget about Merrill Lynch. So another thing that I actually took about out this, because when I read books about, especially investments, I always look from it from a planning angle, because that's my specialty, is showed that if you stay the course of your plan, as, as Dr. Michael uh, Burry did, that you can have a positive outcome. And, and if you remember... I mean he went against the popular consensus grain of the nation but he was right and he knew he was right and he felt comfortable about that plan and you know there were some rough patches in that you know his clients wanted to sue him and he, he remember when he when he stopped the funding the outflows from his hedge fund but in the end he made himself and his clients a lot of money, and he was able to stick to the course of his investment strategy and hedging plan.
1: My favorite part of the movie when he emails the guy that had been, you know, just berating him in the movie, and, uh, and he emails him is, you know, I've closed out your account. You have, you know, investment returns of, you know, something ridiculous. I forget what it was, but, you know, 3,752%, <laughs> and he just ends with, like, you're welcome.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then he goes back to blasting Metallica in his that's right. in his uh, <laughs> office. That's right. It's a great
1: great character, that's for sure. Um, captured captured very well in uh, in the movie. I'm sure even better in the book. So. Uh Big Short—that is definitely a good one. So uh, Ed Slot, and then you can spice it up with a little bit more of a, uh, a little bit more storytelling with the Big Short. I like that. You took us to like the educational route, and then a little bit of uh, the entertainment side of things too. So that works out nicely.
0: Now, I—I I mean, listen—if the clients are going to read a book, I, I would say you know the tax saving time bombs. You know, seven steps that uh, you know, I—I've uh, I, got uh, help contribute to with my friend friend Dan Capril got that book out i'd be more than happy to send you that book very nice yeah, if, lo- lots of I'm good gonna options. you know plug my own product walter right that's right
1: well it's good to bring in some outside resources from time to time so you, you you pumped those up before your own book so that works out well uh all right so we've we've kind of been going down this rabbit hole a little bit of where you've gotten different influences from shaping your financial life a little bit talking about the celebrities okay so not so much influence there um, financial books. Definitely, they've, there have been a few that have resonated with you. Uh, but let's talk about people. Um, in particular, I'm curious about growing up, maybe. How did your parents or those close to you in life when you were younger influence your views on money, investing, and retirement? And how does that kind of shape how you still view things today?
0: They had an absolute huge influence. I mean, you know, like probably so many people out there, you know, they shaped my foundation of how I view my household balance sheet, my business balance sheet, and my, my own investment portfolio. And the funny thing is my parents are exact opposites on the spectrum of this. So I found what I feel is a happy medium in the middle. And my mom is really the inspiration for me reaching out to and helping you know women in retirement. Uh, because like her, you know my parents divorced uh, it's amicable. I'm still very, very close with both of them. Um, but my mom raised you know had the Monday through Friday of getting the kids ready for school, going to work and all that. so I have a tremendous amount of respect for what my mom did for us. Uh, I mean, I have two kids with my wife and I couldn't imagine not having you know a partner in that every day. So you know she, to have that is a big motivation for me to help out other women uh, in, you know that are entering retirement as just you know a single, single mom or, or a widow or a divorcee. But my mom also grew up with a single mother, and she grew up with not a lot of money, and so they had to work extremely hard to provide for the family and, and my grandmother, she owned her own catering business in Cleveland, but she would often have my mom and my aunt. In the kitchen early on Saturday mornings, we're talking like 5 a.m., helping prepare, you know, cutting potatoes, whatnot, setting up the chairs and the events, you know, and they were just seven, eight years old. Um, So my mom grew up extremely conservative and values every dollar that she earned even today because that's how she grew up. Now, my dad, he he was a CFP, you know, financial advisor for over 30 years. And I know we talked about this in the past, but he really showed me the value of compounding money and returns. And I used that example in the past about the dividend stocks that I got when I was ten and eleven years old. And he said, "You know, son, you can, you can reinvest those, and those stocks will be much bigger later on. You know, kind of like that old marshmallow experiment." And, and he said, "You know, and I'll if you do this, I'll let you keep a check every now and then, and I will actually give you, well, I'll give you a bonus check." you know, to incentivize me. And, you know, um, later in my early 20s, when I had my my first career going, you know, they both encouraged me to save and he encouraged me to invest. And between those dividend checks that I never, you know, spent that money and my savings, I took advantage of the 90s tech boom. And I was able to buy my house in 1999 at the ripe age of 24. And (laughs) I mean, especially in California, Southern California market, that gave me a huge advantage over all my friends and even my current neighbors who just bought in you know, the neighborhood the last couple of years. Um, and that alone was literally the foundation of my adult financial success. So absolutely, um, you know, credit goes to my parents um, for a lot of this financial success I've had today.
1: Of course, as you've gotten older and you've been in the industry for a while now as well, I'm sure you've made a lot of good friends through the industry, maybe some mentors. What relationships have you developed over the last several years in a professional sense have made you, you know, kind of appreciate their assistance, maybe their knowledge, how they maybe helped you in turn help your clients better?
0: Yeah. And, you know, we just got done talking about, you know, the the foundation that my parents set up for me. The funny thing is, you know, my dad and I actually have pretty conflicting <laughs> views on retirement investing. And, and you know, I kind of got, I, I was attending an Ed Slot conference and I met a guy, a gentleman by the name of Jim Redder, who he was a great man and he had a profound impact on my career going forward. And, and unfortunately, Jim passed a few years back. But it was Jim who really started my business relationships. He was my first business relationship. And that's become the crux of my business success and my success, my planning success as a financial advisor. And you know, meeting Jim, that impact I'm, I'll forever be grateful for. Because as I said, he was my first colleague relationship, and he introduced me to a group that he was involved with, and it was is an FMO. So it's it's not to get too much into it, but it's a it's an insurance relationship type of of company called the Three Mentors, and you know this Three Mentors was led by three very successful advisors, three very great guys, but they had about a group of 150 or so close knit advisors from around the nation who would gather together at conferences and would help grow each other's businesses and they'd we would we would talk about how to design financial plans for our clients that would give them the peace of mind. Now, unfortunately, for us advisors, it is obviously a good move for the three mentors, but unfortunately as business goes, you know, three mentors became so successful it really became for such a smaller FMO became an industry powerhouse that they were acquired by a much larger FMO. You know, so we kind of lost, you know, it it expanded a bit. But another thing that kind of how this just keeps on um, snowballing, three mentors introduced me to Brookstone Capital Management, who like the three mentors FMO, they focus on advisors helping other advisors. So I'll be very honest with you, and I've seen a lot of organizations. I've been with multiple FMOs. I've been with multiple RIAs. These two organizations, and, and well, now Brookstone Capital Management, as the, the, the sole existent of the two, they're rare species in today's eat or be eaten type of industry. And so I am very fortunate to have been with three mentors at the time they were around and now be around with... Uh, Brookstone Capital Management. But furthermore, I want to kind of give a a shout out to my original mentor, one of the original three mentors, Rodney Harris, profound effect on how I do business today. He was really a a true mentor, and he's a great friend of mine. We've often, you know, kind of vacationed together. Um, He has young kids and and a wife, uh, my wife's age. And, you know, then there's Derek Gabula, who recruited me, you know, to Brookstone Capital Management, which is a an absolutely unbelievable RIA that's led by an absolutely great man, Dean Zayed, who's the CEO of Brookstone Capital Management. You know, Walter, you got a, a CEO of now, you know, Brookstone Capital Management has over 500 advisors, over six and a half billion dollars in AUM. And Dean's the type of guy that, you know, when I come into a conference, he'll, he'll be talking and he'll, hey, John, how's it going? Shake your hand. He'll buy you a beer at the bar. He's not he's not that stuffy CEO. He he is he's just a great leader, um, you know. And and his employees love him, and the advisors love him. And you know, another great person was was Josh Nelson, who was my original rep at the Three Mentors, and now he works for Brookstone Insurance Group. So really, those you know business you know through businesses, I I learned from them, and then. Even more so, aside from that, some of my original colleagues from Three Mentors, who are now great friends, Tom O'Connell, um, he taught me everything I know about structure and powerful life insurance vehicles, Chris McIntyre, Steve Davis, uh, Moro D'Amico. You know, these are advisors that, you know, aside from Morrow, who's, who's in the LA area, everyone these advisors are, you know, New Jersey, Ohio, Vermont, they we're all over the place. Um, But if any one of us has a question or we found something that we think we can help build our business or help better our client situations, without hesitation, we share because we want to see each other get better. And, um, you know, it was my trust in, in the knowledge that these people that I have already mentioned provided with me. It was their knowledge that set the foundation for my planning, which gave my clients the peace of mind that they were able to experience in March. You know, and I'm definitely grateful for that. And then lastly, you know, one last person that I actually hired on as a business advisor and, you know, Walter, you and I, you know, connected through this man, um, Dan Capril. You know, I hired him in 2019 and he pushed me to new limits. Um, you know, I never really thought of collaborating on a book or doing a podcast or a video series. I, and and he pushed me to that roadmap of growth and that I've had over the last two years of, especially when it comes to this podcast and he really revolutionized and helped me revolutionize my my back office and and all the policies and practices that I have today and going forward. So, I've definitely been blessed with having great parents and then being fortunate to meet some great people um you know over my last, you know, close to now going on 8 years.
1: Oh yeah one thing i enjoy actually working with you john is you have a very genuine and deep appreciation for the people around you and for those relationships that you built and i think it uh, it just resonates out of you whenever you 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 get ec- going a little extra a little extra energy when you start talking about all those people who have had influences on you and i, I don't think you take those relationships for granted based on the way that you talk about them and uh, i think that's that's something that makes you unique and uh, makes you who you are. So that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. No, no. And you know what it inspires me to, you know, Brookstone Capital Management has a- asked me to mentor two other, you know, newer advisors to their platform. And, you know, and it's, I absolutely, and, and I do it without, hey, what's in it for me? Because I, I understand the impact that a good mentor can have on a person. I want to pass that knowledge on and teach people how to do it right. That's a great point.
1: Absolutely. Well, as we talk about influences, John, it wouldn't be a, uh, you know, 21st century conversation without bringing technology into the fold, right? We're all about technology these days. How have you, How have you seen technology help or hurt our financial literacy as a as a country, as a
0: community? Right. Technology has been great for my practice. I mean, there are so many things that I've been able to use uh, very advanced analytical software that has taken my level of planning to a whole nother level. But in the public sector, it's a double edged sword, right? It's like WebMD. Um, I think it's good for people to always have resources and, and be able to get information with different views, right? And one thing I am absolutely against, and, and we've seen this unfortunately in the, the last couple months, is the suppression of opposing views. I think people, especially my listeners, my clients, they are smart people. They are smart enough to discern whether this is good or bad for them, right? And whether they should look into it more. I don't think any one of my clients has ever just, you know, read an article off some, you know, website and go, "Oh, I'm doing that." You know, I've had them come call me and say, "Hey, listen, I, I was reading an article." And they said this, what is your thoughts on this? Is, is this something that applies to me? So I'm happy when, when clients do this and they're engaged and, and they want their financial well-being to be the best it can. That's encouraging to me as an advisor. However, the, the, the double-edged sword is that you have to be able to know the difference between a fundamentally sound financial planning idea and a marketing gimmick. And it's not easy. I mean, for the everyday person who has limited to moderate financial experience, it's hard because those gimmicks are really powerfully positioning themselves as a fundamentally sound financial planning idea. But it kind of gets back to what we first talked about with the celebrity um, planners, those marketing gimmicks know nothing about your specific situation. So, why they may tell you that something is horrible and you need to avoid it, well, that may be relevant. That may be a, a, a plausible statement for some people, but for other people, those people may absolutely need that financial vehicle that they're, you know, trashing because it doesn't fit their business model. So, my final thoughts on this is take the information you gather and ask your advisor. Reach out to me or put a question into the podcast and ask us what our thoughts were. I mean, that's how we get a lot of our questions, to be honest, and, and I'm happy that people do that. but just don't you know just don't read an article and say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to take social Security early and I'm going to invest and get six percent, and then you know I'll actually be ahead of the game because that may be very poor advice.
1: I think that's wise, John, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. And, uh, yeah, technology plays that dual role in our lives. So uh, don't let it make a bad decision. Uh, Use it for the better. Speaking of using things for the better, we're talking about advice and uh, all the different areas where you get this advice, John, and how you discern it. I'm curious, what about, uh, you know, we talked about the celebrities. Okay, maybe their guidance wasn't all that helpful. But do you have a favorite economist, perhaps, whose advice or policy you respect and follow closely, or, or maybe that of a politician.
0: <laughs> you threw politician, and that's a great <laughs> joke, Walter. That let, the, the politician that would be a resounding no. I I, fi- I figured um, there
1: wasn't an, an influential politician in your life at the moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, early on, um, you know, I, I followed a lot of what hedge fund great Ray Dalio said. Um, as a matter of fact, one of our models, our all-seasons model, is is based on Ray Dalio's approach and it's been a successful model the last couple of years and, and throughout time. It's really done well for his clients and our clients. I wouldn't necessarily say an economist is any one economist I follow that, really, uh, that I really look to closely. I, I'm really big into the planning. So Michael Kitsis, who is arguably one of the top financial planners in the nation, I'm, I'm a member of his uh, Kitsis Nerds Eye Group. He always sends out you know, weekend reading for financial planners because I can't get enough Monday through Friday. Um, and I listen to his, blo- his podcasts and his blogs. So I definitely follow him a lot um, and, and follow the advice of his planning or, or even software to look at. And then um, someone who's actually tied to Michael Kitsis also is Jeffrey Levine, who um, is actually also tied to Ed Slot there in the past before he kind of did his own thing. But Jeffrey Levine and Deborah Taylor, who are part of, uh, they lead a savvy tax mastermind group. I'm a part of, so you know I get the tax expertise um, and advice from them, the the financial planning expertise from Kitsis, and then. For market conditions, I really look to the insights from, you know, Brookstone Capital's, you know, chief investment officer, Mark Diorio. Um, you know, when Mark talks, he's usually the smartest guy in the room and, and you know it. And First Trust, uh, Brian Westbury. So a lot of my, you know, when I, I do a lot of my market videos and my market updates, that's really, you know, information that I'm getting from uh, Mark and Brian.
1: Well, it's great. Uh, it's nice to have other experts in the industry, non-celebrities, uh, that you can <laughs> pull good guidance and information from. And I know you talked a lot about Ed Slot earlier as well, who probably falls into this list uh, You know, from his book that you've read that I'm sure somebody that you always kind of perk your ears up whenever they speak, whenever they talk, you're, you're in tune and wanting to hear more from them. And uh, that's how I feel every time we turn on these microphones and I get to hear from you a little bit, John, and your perspective and guidance on some of these financial matters that we're able to discuss on each show. And I'm going to be interested to hear your perspective on our next question when we find out a little bit about what's happening in the news. But I do want to throw out there for anybody who is listening to the show today and wondering a little bit more about if they're new to the program, new to listening and learning about you, and they might want to reach out and have a conversation with you about their plan how they can maybe be better positioned, and if they want to seek your guidance and counsel when it comes to their own retirement plans and uh, financial life. It's easy to get in touch with John. Again, he's based in San Diego. Uh, They're on Trina Street right off of Interstate 15 next to Scripps Ranch High School. You can call 858-935-6210. That's 858-935-6210. Or go online to gosecurus.com to get in touch as well. All right, let's see what's happening in the news. Extra, extra, read all about it. All right, so John, interested in your thoughts on this, um, Joe Biden? Uh, you know, as part of the you know process of uh, coming on board uh, as you know president, and uh, I think this was actually talked about in his campaign platform. Um, some other things have been at the top of the list in terms of you know getting rolling in his first couple of days in office. Uh, but there was this talk about canceling ten thousand dollars in student loan debt for every single student loan borrower. And I'm curious, do you like that idea for the country, for individuals? Where do you fall on that debate as a financial advisor?
0: I don't like it at all. First of all, let me say this. I think we need to be focusing on the universities. I mean, we have so many regulatory industries, except for you know universities. I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone really regulates them, but let's start regulating universities on price gouging their students. How about that, Walter? I mean, an education shouldn't cost sixty, seventy, ninety thousand dollars 90000 a
1: year. Treat, so, the, uh, treat the problem, not the symptom, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And it, okay, you when we really look at colleges, I mean, think about this, Walter. It, it's like a, something that I always tell my clients, don't ever focus on a name brand thing. Focus on the value. And, you know, people get caught up in the in the Yales and the you know we're Ivy League, and yeah, the, you have a phenomenal you know you're gonna you're gonna get that higher level of education, but you know a lot of people oh I'm Harvard or you know or I went to the Ohio State because you know that they're a big football school. So I think really you know and I I know a lot of our clients and and listeners are retirees who so are past this, but you know my my two my niece and nephew are extremely smart people. I mean they got uh they they were entered in to a uh a business conference in New York where they built their own stock exchange i mean these are at seventeen years old Walter. so they're very very smart wow. and you know they had some partial scholarships to some back east schools but the 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 cost would still be sixty seventy thousand dollars a year even after you know a twenty thirty thousand dollar a year scholarship and you know we, my my sister and brother in law, who are both financial advisors, really had to have a talk with them, and luckily, you know, they had their knowledge, and their kids understood that you know there's better ways to go about this. You know, you go to JC for a couple of years, then then go to a school that's not you know that can meet your goals, you know, and, and that's not necessarily you know a brand name school or or whatnot, that you're going to pay $100,000 for. But I think for a lot of people, you know, the kids have to go to a four-year school. They can't go to JC. They look at that like as it's a failure. And, you know, trust me, my my niece and nephew are, you know, 4.0 plus AP, you know, scholarship style students. So, um, but they're going there to, you know, because they're paying, what, $1,500 a year or, or a semester, not 50. So I think we need to stop the gouging You know, no one needs Ben Affleck or Matt Damon to come give a a speech at their commencement ceremony. Save the money and put it back in the college. You know, in the pockets of your students. But more importantly, I think uh, Biden's plan there sets a bad precedence. Now we're teaching people and and young people that are going to be the futures of our nation that it's okay for them to take on an expense that they can't really afford, and it'll be forgiven when they can't pay their bills. Because that's essentially what's going on. And even more so, nothing is free. Nothing is free. I mean, that was something my parents always told me. Nothing's free. You're either gonna pay for it down the road or you're gonna pay for it, you know, in a governmental status with some type of freedom. And, you know, they don't understand the fact that, you know, nothing's free. We're just I, I know our government just likes to print money up out of nowhere, but other taxpayers are going to pay your subsidy. And piggybacking off that first comment, it's not my responsibility to bail you out of the debt that you chose to incur. And I, I know that sounds harsh, but you know that's the truth when you really look at the fundamentals of how these, these forgiveness programs work. And lastly, this nation cannot afford any more freebies right? We have close to $28 trillion in national debt. And like anything that compounds this number, that $28 trillion will continue to get much larger, much faster as the number gets bigger. And by canceling their debt, you're just adding on to that snowball um, called the national debt.
1: Yeah, it does make you concerned about uh, just how much gets um, you know, forgiven and then what that does to the national debt. It's already out of control. It's, Definitely a worrying part, and I know it's why you emphasize taxes, taxes, taxes so much on this show, because you can just see that the burden just continues to go up and up astronomically, and that's worrisome. I just remember uh, my my uh, younger cousin was um, starting to apply for colleges a year or two ago, and I went with her on a tour of Duke University and my jaw hitting the floor when they started talking about the cost of attendance. <laughs> I was just yeah blown away by it. And uh, But when you see the campus and when you see the, the dining hall, for crying out loud, was uh, just incredible. It was like just the most incredible gourmet food you can imagine, and the decorations in the dining hall were just incredible. And you just compare that yeah. to— uh, you know, that, that, that's where your money's going, into that fanciness and that, into that trendiness. And, uh, you know, you don't necessarily need that to get a good education. So,
0: there's... But you know what, Walter? You know, when I when because my, I went to San Diego State University. It was cheap back then. And my, my one niece was actually looking at San Diego State University. And here's the other racket. You know, when I went, you were never required to live in the dorms. And now, you know, I told my niece, I said, if you need to, you can live with us. And you can go to school this way. You don't have to pay that housing cost. Now you're required. You are required to. I think it's either for the first or the first two years live in their housing. I mean that. And, and but we're talking about you know getting rid of these extra expenses. Why not just get rid of that expense right there? Again, universities forcing students to come in and then you know pay exorbitant you know housing fees. So. I think we can look a little bit further. I think we can trim the fat by by looking at what's causing the first problem. Yeah, that's a good
1: point. Absolutely. Treat the problem, not just the symptom of the problem. That'll be a great start. All right, let's see what's happening in uh, quote quotables of the month. Um, And this is a a, a real good one. I don't know who this was attributed to, maybe unknown perhaps. Uh, But it was, beware of little expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. Give us some financial wisdom out of that, will you?
0: I think that was actually Ben Franklin. Was it Ben Franklin? Okay, good. Check we can, give, the, it. We check can the give it. We can give one. it to Ben Franklin. That's fine.
1: Yeah, I'll, so, fact, I'll fact check yeah. you while you give us some financial guidance out of that.
0: Yeah. So I think this is one of the best quotes you found, Walter. And you know, in my recent studies from my RMA accreditation, spending for retirees is a huge source of potential future problems. And it's something that I am now more, even more diligently planning with my clients. I I did it in the past, but now we're really, really focusing on a sound spending plan. And, of course, we want to give you the lifestyle you want, but within reason. So, um, you know, little expenses definitely add up. And I remember a couple years ago I was interviewed by U.S. News & World Report and the example in the quote i gave was you know going to starbucks and spending 5 dollars a day for a caramel frappuccino macchiato whatever it is the the nonsense coffee that they dole out on a day daily basis but you're paying 5 dollars a day for a coffee that you can produce for pennies at home and that dollar adds up and i mean i love my coffee you know just as good as anyone. i've got my little bean grinder and you know, and, and I've got my nice coffees, but again, I'm not paying five bucks a day. And, you know, when you look at, you know, that's potentially 100 hundred, hundred and fifty $150 a month on coffees. That's that's 1200 to $1,800 a year. And, you know, if that number doesn't, you know, get you going, that's, you know, potentially 12000 to $18,000 over 10 years for coffee. So, yes, those little expenses, as I just showed you, can add up and don't let it sink your ship.
1: So important to make sure you're staying on top of things like that. And you were correct. It was Ben Franklin who said that. Uh, So, yeah, beware of little expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. All right, getting ready to wrap things up for this episode. But as always, we'd like to answer a listener question before we run off, John. So let's do it. Time to open up the mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. And today's question comes to us from Diana in Delcero. Uh, Diana says, I've heard about a strategy using life insurance to create income for yourself in retirement. Is this a legitimate strategy?
0: Hi, Diana. Well, yes, it is. It is a legitimate strategy. You can use the cash value inside a permanent life insurance policy to create an income for yourself in retirement. Now, let's understand there's different types of life insurance policies. So this can only be done using policies like whole universal or index universal life vehicles that accumulate cash value. So if you have a term policy that's not going to work. That's not accumulating cash value. It has to accumulate cash value. And you know I mentioned the name, you know, Tom O'Connell earlier on. This this man, you know, showed me how to properly structure life insurance uh, in a very powerful way, and actually both my wife and I have indexed universal life policies on ourselves that we're actually using for the specific purpose of creating a not only an income for ourselves in retirement but a tax-free income for ourselves in retirement and if these policies are properly structured and that is a big if you have a lot of moving parts that need to be properly done right. And if they're done right, and they're done in an ethical manner, because here's the other thing, you want to, as the advisor, you want to strip the death benefit down as to the least amount as possible allowed by the tax code. And when you're doing that, you're also reducing your commission. So you, you have to have the advisor looking out for your interests, right, doing things right. So if you have that, and they have properly structured then in our case, our policy is going to give us, like I said, a tax rate income stream. But also, we do not have any market risk. So we can achieve some very good market returns on an annualized basis without subjecting our principal to market risk. And that's huge. That's huge for me and for both me and my wife. And it allows me to have my other investments with a little bit more risk. So- um, You know, a, a kind of on a side note, the principal protection from market risk does not apply to variable life insurance policies. So you need to understand if you're in a variable life insurance policy, you're not going to have that principal protection. But ours is not a variable. It's a fixed index universal life policy. And and even that's not always going to be a viable strategy. So you you kind of have to get the policy tailored to what you want it to do. And then last but not least, it's life insurance. So, you know, what makes this even more powerful is the icing on the cake. And that's, listen, I mean, 2020, people thought, you know, COVID could never do what it did to our nation. Bad things happened. I experienced the loss of three great friends in 2020, you know, and one of them being my closest friend. I'm fortunate to have not lost both my parents. So everybody has to sit here and say, you know we want a income plan as if we're going to live forever but you you know you i all the listeners all my clients we have this estate plan as if we're going to die tomorrow and you know in the event of my death i'm leaving a tax-free death benefit to my spouse and or my kids so it's a very powerful strategy not too often discussed but i am a fan of it and i actually learned of this strategy first from Ed Slot at one of his conferences. And then, you know, luckily for me, I had uh, a guy like Tom to really teach me the ins and outs.
1: And when you have those people in your life that can teach you the ins and outs, and you continue to listen with open ears for improvements, you're only going to be in a better shape uh, for your financial plan, for your financial future. And in John, your case, uh, building a business, building a great family of clients and uh, you know, a, a, a fantastic operation that helps people achieve those retirement and financial goals. So I think all of this works together well. And uh, it was really fun to go down that journey with you today. By the way, I hope that's a helpful answer for you, Diana. And I'll give you some contact information to get in touch with John here in a moment in case that's something you want to discuss further. Uh, but really appreciate you taking us kind of through a little bit of memory lane, taking us down uh, the path of, of how you develop your thinking when it comes to financial and retirement planning, John. It was a fun episode and a fun show with you, and uh, thanks for being so open with us.
0: Yeah, I always have fun with you, Walt. It's always a great, great time.
1: We have a good time, absolutely, no doubt about it. Uh, well, if you want to get in touch with John Amarino, here is exactly how to do it. First, you can check the description of today's show or the show notes section, whatever it's called, on the app that you use to listen to the program, and uh, you're going to see contact info there on the description or show notes section of the program. Uh, You can also just, uh, you know, if you can remember the phone number as I'm about to say it, you can call 858-935-6210, 858-935-6210 or you can go online to gosecurus.com. Perhaps that's where you're listening to the show today and just look at the contact form for how to get in touch with John that way as well. Those are your contact uh, forms and ways to get in touch with San Diego's premier holistic retirement advisor. John, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for the guidance and we'll look forward to chatting with you again on a future episode. All right, take care, everyone. Take care, Walt. We'll have another good topic on tap next time around right back here on the Retire Happy Podcast. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Securus Financial are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents. The opinions expressed by John Amarino and guests on this radio show are their own and are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed.